Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. This morning, our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46. This is the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes, because they took him for a prophet. Our scripture this morning deals with the wicked tenets, as it were. And today's scripture passage offers a parable of Jesus as reported by Matthew. It is one of only three parables to be found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we have to conclude that it is an important one, but it is a parable with many levels of meaning. And today I want to examine several of these layers. On the surface, the parable of the tenants is clearly presented by Matthew as an allegory. The landowners represent God. The vineyard represents the kingdom of God. The tenants are the religious leaders. The slaves are the prophets. The son is Jesus. The new tenants are most likely the church. Matthew's interpretation relates to the story of salvation history. God entrusted his kingdom to the Israelites during Old Testament times. And when they steered off course, God sent the prophets to try to correct them. Most did not listen to the prophets. Finally, God decided to send his son Jesus to make clear God's message. But the leaders turned against Jesus and finally had him killed. Then the majority of the Jewish people refused to accept Christ. So the kingdom was given to a new people, the church. 
I think this message is quite obvious from the text, but today I want to move far beyond that context to see how we can apply this parable to people today who trample on the grace of God's. First, we want to look at God's patience. The first lesson that we can learn from this story relates to God's incredible patience. This story is really a story about God. We find that the landowner had invested a lot in this vineyard. The verbs in verse 33 tell us that he planted, set, dug, built, lent, and went. These strong verbs point to the act of caring, loving attitude of the landowner toward his vineyard. Then he went away, entrusting the responsibility to the tenants to till, to cultivate, and harvest. He expected his vineyard to produce fruit. We must notice that the landowner placed a phenomenal amount of trust in the tenants, just as God does in us. When ready to claim his harvest, the master sends representatives, not once, but twice. His patience seems unending. The first group was beaten, stoned, or killed. The second group met the same fate. But the owner was still patient. Finally, thinking it inconceivable that his own son would be rejected, he sent him. They will honor my son, he says. However, the wicked tenants failed their final opportunity in the ultimate test. The son was cast out and killed. An ordinary landlord would have sought revenge on these ungrateful tenants. He might bring a legal action against them or even armed forces to claim what is rightfully his. But this landowner is like God, not like us. God sent his son. The essential character of God is love and holiness. And holy love is patience. But this passage also makes clear that there is an end to God's patience. When the Pharisees are asked what the owner of the vineyard will do when he returns, they reply, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. God is patient, but we should remember that there is a limit to God's patience as well. In school, many classes have daily tests. In other classes, there are pop quizzes. The same can be said for life. We have daily tests of character and sometimes pop quizzes, which really challenge our commitments. But, like in school, we must face a final exam. The Bible says there will come a time when God's patience has reached its limits. At that point, the judgment and justice of God will prevail. The second thing I want to look at is stewardship. The second way to apply this parable to modern times is to point out our responsibility. I believe we must see ourselves as the tenants in this parable. We are now the tenants of the kingdom of God. The tenants were provided with everything they needed. They were given the freedom 
to do the task as they wished. This was an opportunity for growth, but they blew it. Instead of showing faith, they resorted to greed and their murderous instincts. The behavior of these tenants was the perfect example of humanity's rebellious response to God's love, the people of God's resisting his love. We may pretend to be surprised by the murder of the slaves and the murder of the son, but we only have to look at this week's newspaper to be reminded of the dark side of human nature. The wicked tenants are those who do not want to give fruit to the owner. They reject the owner's authority and they work for themselves. The servants in this parable work the land, but they treat the land as if but they treated the land as if it were their own. Somehow they forgot that it never belonged to them. They forgot, or maybe they rejected, the agreement with the landowner. They owed something to the landowner that they were unwilling to give. The same is true for us. It is clear that we owe something back to God. There is something expected of those who are in the kingdom namely living under the authority of the owner and produce and giving back the proper fruit. These wicked tenants forgot that they were merely stewards or managers. And we sometimes forget that too. We are under the delusion of ownership. We think we own things, when in reality God is the owner of all things. All we have belongs to God. We are the stewards. What does ownership really mean to us anyway? Well, I own 60 acres of land. But what does that really mean? I may have possession of that land for the next 40 or 50, 60 years, maybe more. But one day I will be buried on that land somewhere, and that land will own me. The same is true to a lesser degree of all that we own. There are no U-Haul trailers behind hearses. We leave everything when we die. So we see that the Bible is accurate when it describes us as stewards. We have possession of things for a little while. And the Bible reminds us that we owe something back to God. When we hear the church speak of giving a tithe of 10% or whatever, many people disagree with that. They feel as if the church is entering into their personal business. If we really understood who is a real owner, we would not object to paying our tribute to God. In fact, God doesn't want 10%. He wants 100%. He wants all of us because all of what we have belongs to him. He's just letting us use it. The workers in the parable had grown accustomed to a sense of ownership. Of course they thought they were the owners. They had worked hard for what they had. But the landowner says, you don't own anything. You never did. And God says, you never owned what you didn't create. You are our guests on earth, not rulers, servants, not masters. Once we get over the delusion of ownership, we can really enjoy the good things that God has placed in the garden for our enjoyment. We just need to share it with the other guests as well. 
As part of the judgment, Matthew makes it clear that the new tenants have the same responsibility as the old to give back to the owner the fruits at their proper time. New tenants who think that they are working for themselves could face the same fate as the old ones. The third thing to look at is Jesus is the cornerstone. In verse 42, Jesus quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The rejected stone, the crucified Christ, becomes the cornerstone of God's new construction. Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to unbelievers. Daniel pictures him as a great stone cut out of the mountain without hands, which falls on the kingdoms of this world. The idea is whether a ceramic pot falls on a rock or the rock falls on the pot, the result is the same. Verse 44 is reminiscent of the comment, You can't break God's laws, you can only break yourself on them. It is rather like saying, You can't break the law of gravity, you can only break yourself by ignoring it. People in every age have the option of accepting or rejecting Jesus. If we accept the stone, it becomes our sure foundation. If we reject it, we are the losers. This imagery reminds us that our faith is to be the cornerstone of which our whole lives are built. It is not a hobby. It is a central activity. It is not a peripheral activity. It is the central activity. We are accustomed to running programs on our computers. We may run Word, Excel, Photoshop, Google Docs, whatever it is. But at the heart of the computer is the central operating system. If yours is a Windows computer system, it's probably Windows 10 or um, maybe you run an Android operating system or a Macintosh, whatever it is. But every program is managed and run through this central operating system. It determines how everything else runs on your computer. The text says that Jesus is to be the central operating system of our lives. Jesus is the key element in our lives. May we learn from this passage about the incredible but limited patience of God. May we become responsible stewards instead of wicked tenants. May we build our lives on Jesus Christ. The cornerstone. Let us pray. Father, we confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He died and rose for us. We give our lives to him so that he may forgive our sin and bring us peace with you. We thank you for these simple truths. It's in his name we pray and give thanks. Amen.